Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional and financial strain does not have to be your MO. Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight, there is a better road ahead. Hello, everybody. Did you know that there are actually more than three type of care facilities? That's exactly the thing that we're going to be diving in today with our new show called Doing It Best with Elder Care Success. I'm Nancy May. I'm your host. And this is where we're actually going to have a little bit of fun, or hopefully a lot of fun, get some interesting stories, informative details on what you, a family caregiver, can do, as well as maybe some shocking things that might throw you for a loop, both working as a professional in the outside world and as us regular folks who are also caring for our parents or another loved one over days, weeks, months, it could be years. But our job here is to unravel some of the maze of being a caregiver so that you can enjoy more in your life and share more of the days that you have with those that you love and you're caring for. Yep, we're going to jump right into the whole surrounding area of care facilities. That's our show today. Our guest is Kimberly Noyce. Now, Kimberly runs an unusual kind of care home up in Michigan, and the name is Melody Care Homes. But before we do that, I wanted to share that there are actually four basic care types of facilities that I was aware of, the independent living facility, the assisted living facility, which gives you a little bit more than just three square meals a day or usually gives you some help with medication management, skilled nursing facilities, also known as nursing homes, and then something called a continued care retirement community which is a combination of all three under one umbrella. People usually buy into them for a longer period of time, and then they kind of transition over time. But I've done something a little crazy, which has made my husband nuts. So what I did is I signed up for one of those, I call it those, those dial-in services where you put in your address and you say you're looking for an assisted living facility, and within seconds, literally, you'll have somebody dialing and saying, Nancy, I understand you're looking for, well, yes, but no. So um, instead of secret shopping at Saks, which I've never done other than for myself, (laughs) I decided to do secret shopping for care facilities. In the course of time, I actually learned that there are two additional types of care facilities. One I learned from Kimberly, but the other I recently learned is sort of a hybrid timeshare type of program where these are facilities that decided to close down the timeshare business, but become assisted living facilities or independent living facilities. And so what you have to do is you sign up for six months or more in order to avoid the hotel tax. Kind of interesting, but they typically allow you to come in with all sorts of care and support and even allow you to have hospice care in those facilities as well, which if that's home, that's great. But not to knock these facilities, you know, my feeling is why do that if you're already at home? It didn't make any sense. Kimberly has something different. Kimberly is dealing with a smaller, more intimate, homey environment called adult foster homes. And Kimberly, to the outside, when you first told me that, I was kind of aghast, like adult foster homes. Like I'm, my parents are not foster parents. They're like, or foster children, they're mom and dad. 
that's just, I guess, sort of a government licensing title, correct? Yes. Yes. And I can understand that because with that title is adult foster care small group home. And I did not like at all being called a group home. Although in my licensing, I'm licensed as an adult foster care small group home, which is just a home. And I can have one to six residents living in that home. No more than six, correct? I'm licensed for no more than six. Yes. That's kind of interesting. There's another facility that I didn't mention, which is probably similar that I saw down in Florida when I was looking to help mom and dad make a move. And my financial advisor, one of his colleagues, had her sister in one of these places, had taken out of one of the big places and moved them into something that was very tiny. Two sisters were running a care home that had, I think, maybe five or six people, and they were lovely. But, you know, it wasn't pretty, and I know my mom was aware of that. So we ended up renting and then buying, bringing them back into their own home. But it was the care and the love and the attention that helped this woman's sister live out the end of her days with somebody who made sure that she was fed, that she was clean, that she didn't have bed sores was amazing to see. I mean, it really, it was something I had never seen in a larger facility. Yeah, very personal. And I agree you know, with our homes, I mean, I, I take great pride in what I do and what our homes look like. Our homes are very nice. I had them built and I decorate them and maintain them just as if they were my home. But if you don't have the right care inside that home, how great that home looks doesn't really mean anything. It's more than just the home. It really comes down to also the partnership that you have with the family. Oh, yes. Because I remember when we first connected you had reached out to me on a business question that was very sensitive to the type of environment that you were dealing with. Mm-hmm. To this day, I can almost remember the conversation that we had and how it ended, which... Unfortunate. Yeah. Got wrench. Yeah. And, you know, you are in my position. You know, I have all these families coming in, bringing me their loved one and trusting me. Really, for me, I feel like there's no greater honor than to serve, and especially the elderly. I mean, that's why I've been in this business for so long, is I absolutely adore every one of them. But, you know, a lot of families have different beliefs. And one thing that I do always make sure that they know at admission is how I believe in hospice. And I just make sure that we're clear on that, because the fact is, a lot of these elderly residents could end up in a hospice program. We don't do it quickly. And there's a couple reasons why I don't call on them quickly, but if it's needed and it could benefit the elderly person we're caring for, I certainly do call on them. But I make sure that the families are very aware of what hospice is and what it means and what it means to me, because... You're saying that hospice is coming into your facility or your home, as opposed to when you said a hospice program, correct? Yes. So are the families shocked that you bring this up early on? No, I just tell, I want them to know how I believe. And with me bringing it up, not I, I really let them know that I just want them to know all the services that we provide. And in the event that their loved one were to need some of these services, home care, we, yeah, I think that everybody can understand what home care is. We have a nurse that comes in and provides different things that their elderly loved one might need. But hospice, so many people think hospice means we're going to stop the meds and start giving morphine. 
Now, I've I thought that. Did you? I, I, I really did. And I know why, because there are actually nurses or hospice companies that I've met that have made comments like it's time to wind this down. What do you, what do you mean wind this down? No, we don't get to wind this down. We get to provide comfort. It's not up to us to decide when somebody dies. And so Mm -hmm. the reason why I bring that up is because that had a lot to do with our first conversation. When families try to make that decision, it hurts me, does hurt me when somebody tries to to determine when somebody dies, because I don't feel like that's up to us. And I don't, that's just not my belief. Everybody has different beliefs, but I'm bringing in families that have different beliefs. And that was the situation when I had reached out to you as I was just beside myself over the situation that was happening and wanted to, wanted your real opinion on it. Because I we've already faced doctors and the legal team and, and I'm still was kind of having a difficult time with it. Facing death is, or admitting it, is a very difficult discussion to even have. And in our Facebook group, Elder Care Success, you know, we had Sue Brain over from the UK who runs something called Death Cafes. And she's dealt with the whole issue of, she called the D word, the the use of the term dying in many different levels. And as much as those conversations are so difficult to have, quite frankly, for those of us who are taking care of somebody, there's somewhat, I don't want to say liberating is probably the wrong word, but being able to talk about it helps relieve some of the tension when you do have to make those decisions because they're really hard. And I was saying to somebody, you don't realize that when you are a POA or a durable power attorney in charge of a medical directives, that technically you have the power to say who lives or dies. And that's quite frankly, that freaked me out when it came to dad's time. It totally freaked me out. It's like, oh my God, I am pulling the plug now, but I wasn't. And the emotional pain for me to have that that decision was tough. Our doctor was great in helping us with it. But quite frankly, not too long ago, she told me that a mom was time to be on hospice and just like kind of let her go. And I'm like, hell no. Yeah. I knew when dad was ready. That was a whole nother story. But damn, I'm going to fight my hell like for mom, just like I did for dad. But she has a different, my mom has a different outlook on life. And you probably heard your, your parents may have even said over the years as, as kids, like, you know, shoot me if I get like that. And I joke yeah. and I said, mom, there may be times I want to do that. <laughs> but in reality, I'd go to jail. That would be no life for me. Right. So I right. really don't want to do that. And two, it kind of might hurt you. So I don't want to do that. And you know, yeah. where's the nearest pillow? Like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. But having the conversations, I think, really actually helps all sides because you know what to do and how they feel. Mm-hmm. And they may, the family may never even have these discussions to begin with, right? Right, right. Yeah. And so was this an aha moment for you? I mean, when you went through this with this particular family to you know, like, what do you do? Was it something you've done regularly or was it like, oh my God, this is like a new moment I haven't experienced where it's been that difficult? You know, that was a very different situation that I had never really been put in. No, I can't really say that. I had been put in that situation one other time and, but it never went anywhere. And I guess to let the listeners know, it's when someone is in a condition that is not, none of us would want to be in that condition. For example, if someone has a stroke and now they can't talk 
and they also are getting their nutrition through a tube, tube feeding. There were some decisions made along the line to do that procedure to put tube feeding in. And then for then a family to decide that they don't want to see their loved one live like that anymore and ask me to stop feeding them. That's after the fact. Yeah, after the fact. I can't. And even even a, a good doctor can come in and say, we are here for the patient. We don't do things that would create the patient harm which we're not going to do something that will cause the patient death. You know, you don't want them to be uncomfortable or in any pain, but you're not going to do something that will end their life. And that's what I was being asked for from this family. And it was disturbing to me. You were basically being asked to pull the plug Mm -hmm. and the family was not making the decision. Technically they did but they were forcing you to make the decision for them, which is, this is totally my opinion. I don't think that's right. No. To have somebody who doesn't know the individual is not related to make that decision unless they are a paid guardian to do that. And that's a whole nother yeah. legal component. Yeah. You do a lot more than talking about end of life. And we talk about the joys and the love and you do some oh, really special gosh. things in your home that I've seen pictures like, oh my God, I'm like, I might move in with you. You know, I can tell you that the joys that I have gotten from these elderly people I've taken care of over 16 years, the stories I have are just amazing. And I'm the type of person that if you ask me to do something and it's going to bring joy to your life, the first thing I'm going to think of is, wow, with these elderly and most of our residents, not all of them, but most of them are in their 90s. Almost all of them have dementia of some form. With us, things can change. We don't know if we're going to be here tomorrow. So the first thing that enters my mind when they say something they want to do or their family might ask if I'll do something, and I've done things to extreme, is they may not be here next week for me to have the option to do that with them. So yeah, if I can do it, I'm going to do it. And one of the, the biggest things I think that I've done was I had a resident that had a brother that lived in Savannah, Georgia, that was going to have this 90th birthday party. So, and the family asked me if I'll take the dad who has dementia and he's in a wheelchair, if I would take their dad to Georgia to this party and I'm in, I don't say no to anything. If it'll bring them joy. Absolutely. Well, we went and it wasn't when I first realized, cause this same gentleman, I flew to Los Angeles and brought him and his wife back. And now he'd been with us for a couple of years and the family is asking me if I'll take him to this birthday party. So, and this was a very fancy birthday party that was like on a penthouse. When we got to the hotel and I just told the son, just, he's like, I don't really know what the sleeping arrangements. I said, just the dad needed 24 hour care. I said, just get me a room with two beds. So I was very comfortable with that. When I got him to the hotel, realizing there's not very many travel hotel accommodations that accommodate somebody in a wheelchair that's handicapped that has dementia. But so we did the best we could. We flooded the bathroom trying to take a shower. Once he got in bed and fell asleep and he woke up and now I'm on the phone with my husband saying, okay, I just got him to sleep and we're good. The party's tomorrow. He sat up and had this look in his eyes. He thought I was his wife and he started crying, thinking I'm going to divorce him. And you know, that never ended. When we did the party, he would tap me on the bottom and say, go mingle, honey. And I'm like, did anybody see that? And it was quite interesting. But then when we got back after the trip, 
it, it was very difficult on him because he thought I was his wife, uh-uh. but I wasn't right there with him. So he was always like, honey, please. So taking someone with dementia out of their surroundings sometimes can be really difficult, but I loved that man. I, I mean, I, we had a lot of good times together. I took this one lady that was a seamstress. Of course, now she has dementia. We go to Joanne Fabrics. I don't know if you have those there, but she wanted to get on one of the Amigos. Oh my goodness. She ran into and bumped into so many displays there and laughed. The looks that we were getting, I thought we are going to get kicked out of here because people, the public don't always know how these elderly people are. I mean, I certainly didn't prior to me being in the business, didn't know how people were, but I've just had so much fun with some of our residents. Really, they became like my family. I loved them and it brought their family great comfort knowing I I was so close to them. One of the things I'm curious about is when somebody is looking to move a parent into your into your homes how do you help them make the decision as to whether you're the best place for them or maybe you just say this is not right for your parent and your family is that a combination of the feel and the fit that you have with the family not just the resident or the individual who'll be living with you? I don't ever really go by the fit of the family because all families are very different. And I don't really want to pass that judgment on a one-time meeting. Normally what we do is I normally, I want them to look at all my homes just so that they can see what our homes are like and what the atmosphere is like, what my staff is like. But normally we meet at one. I have a nice sitting room that we sit in and I just Really, I'd be very transparent. I tell them what I do. I tell them what my role is there. I tell them what services we offer. They ask me a lot of questions. I let them look through the home. I let them meet the other residents. And they kind of get a feel whether they could see their loved one with us or not. You know, a lot of times these companies want to do an evaluation before. I don't even really do that. And I probably should. But transition can be so difficult on these elderly I mean, I definitely have when visited people in their home or in a nursing facility or at another adult foster care home because the family really wanted me to. And I would definitely do that. But I never made it a requirement because sometimes the transition can change people or bring out other things. So the the transition from your facility to another facility or from one facility to yours? From one facility to ours. Because it's very different. You have a different kind of environment. Versus those are more, they're large. And so getting lost in a large facility, well, not even that, because I, I've been in a number of them, just sort of checking them out, even when mom and dad were moving from one, which was supposedly the nicest in, in the area. You know the story where they started out about $35,000 a month and went to $30,000 a month very quickly because mom was having some health issues and they weren't taking care of it. And if she had stayed there, Quite frankly, she lost 60 pounds in about five months. She would have been dead. If I, you know, you've seen the pictures, I think, in the Facebook group of what they look like beforehand and what my mom looks like now. It's like even my lead aide goes or their lead aide just goes, oh, my God. Like, I couldn't believe it was the same person. But it was interesting to see how the, the transition for mom and dad happened. And the facility that we left, the nurse, I called her Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> actually told me after giving me some warning, like maybe it wasn't the right place to be, 
that my my parents would be probably dead in less than six months because we had moved them, which is just horrendous that anybody would say that because the quality of the care, they would have been dead in six months if I left them there. And they thrived in a new place. It was bright. It was sunny. It was a different environment. And there was just a different kind of vibrancy that had not been in the place that my parents chose for themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's very different. But what are some of the questions that may have surprised you that families ask or should ask that they're not asking? Well, there's lots that I, when I stop and I think about things that they've never asked me and what I would ask if I was looking for placement for a loved one. And you know, the the biggest challenge definitely, as I'm sure it is with a lot of businesses, is the staffing. That really is the challenge. And you just really have to make sure that you have the right people. And as the owner, I'm not an owner that did this for an investment. I, I did this to fulfill a passion, a real passion. So it is very important that I am there and that I'm checked in and that I know what is going on in that home. I have cameras. Right now, some of my employees, I've had, I have a couple that have been with me for almost 14 years, but I still have to check in. I still have to make sure that things are being done the way to what my standards are. Because it's easy, especially during the COVID, it's easy for things to change. So let me ask you on the staff side, because I have gone in to places in my secret shopping. (laughs) I think I should dress nicer next time. When I go in and I ask about staffing, I have. You know, I've asked like, you know, how many, what's the ratio? What's the turnover? And it's interesting because I will get different answers and I know because I've been doing this for a while, whether somebody is telling me a stretched truth that is technically correct, like what's the ratio? So the ratio to to staff member to residents can actually be fairly small if you're talking about over a 24-hour period, over a course of a week. So there are plays to play the numbers, and I kind of figure that went out fairly quickly. And not everybody understands that. And the turnover, they're not willing to say. The turnover is huge in this business that people really have no idea. And it's no fault of their own, quite frankly. Sometimes it's not a right fit. Sometimes people burn out. It's, it's a hard business to be in. It is. And it's brutal because your home might be, I'll call it staff pilfered from somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. How do you get around that? Well, or don't you? The staffing is difficult because, especially the last few years, because I used to really not be able to say that I had a high turnover. And then it just, one of my homes, I kept getting a turnover. And I did have a home manager there. So I really had to look at everything and find out why this is happening. And it's difficult too. I'm not working any shifts right now, but over the years, I've worked so many shifts. So I am, I'm not expecting anything from my staff that I don't do myself. And I do know that this is not a job where you're going to go and sit around. You're not. And it's not a third shift job. Is you Don't think you're going to take a nap because that's you're not going to. Third shift can be just as busy as any other shift. And I do think, because when I get people that only want third shift, I have to really let them know this. I love it when I have someone that wants third shift, but do you want to really work third shift? Because there's no sleeping. And I have caught people sleeping and that it's just, you know, it gets real disappointing when I see that because I have people that need to be turned so that they don't get sores. Mm-hmm. I have things that need to be done on third shift. So for me to catch somebody sleeping, that's really a, we're done. You know, it's a deal breaker. 
One of the things I, I find really interesting is that you talk about not sleeping at night and being able to be there. And yes, things happen in the middle of the night. It's a 24-7 job. What fascinates me is that people don't understand in the care homes, whether it's yours or anybody else, the average is one staff member for 15 to 20 people. And it's different I know in a smaller home because you only have up to six. And they don't realize that when you've got five people that need something in the middle of the night and there's only one caregiver, that's a recipe for disaster. And it's frightening for the person who needs the help who may have dementia. And quite frankly, I mean, I know aides that just go, really, WTF? I'm pissed off. I'm out of here. I can't take this. And you want me to take care of these people? And many of them are there because they want to be there to do the right thing for, for people that need the help. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm definitely not equivalent to assisted living. Every adult foster care can be set up differently. Like, there's some adult foster cares that say, no, we don't take people in wheelchairs. When I started this, I had a real passion to take care of these people. And I knew that if things changed, I still wanted to be able to take care of them. I didn't want them to have to leave because something happened and now they didn't fit into what we did. So we, from the beginning, really became equipped to take care of all facets of their health issues. I love it when I get something new because it always really is just another big area for me to learn. Our most nerve-wracking was, I think, when I got this man that had two feeding and a trach and he couldn't talk and I had never had a trach before. So I really had to call on my home care team and make sure they were available to come in and train staff. But it, it was great to take care of him. I mean, and we did an excellent job, but some places don't do all those things. Some places won't do end-of-life care. And honestly, in the very beginning, I didn't really think about end-of-life care. I just knew that I really could love and take care of elderly. So my first lady passed away. Actually, I opened on November 15th of 2004, and she passed away in early May of 2005. She was only with us for eight days. I sat with her every single night during third shift, and she recited her entire life story to me. She was a wonderful lady, and after it was all over with, I realized, could you imagine being at the end of life? And she did have her mind. She had cancer. She was 84 years old. And having this stranger sit next to you and listen to everything that she wanted to pour out. We laughed. We cried. We shared stories. She gave me some really cool recipes. And that is when I realized that I could take care of people that were dying. And that really kind of opened up that. To be a part of someone's final journey, to sit with them as their life ends here and to know that you did everything that you could to bring joy to each day, whether if they could remember morning when it was now night, to me, fills me up. It makes me feel like I'm really doing something that matters. But you have to get your staff to think that way too. That takes a very special person to be able to do that and lead in a, in a way that is firm but gentle. I want to sort of wrap this up a little bit and just ask, what is... What is the secret sauce that you think makes a home like yours really special and different where a family understands? Because it's, it's not just placing mom or dad in a place that removes them from any responsibility. Right. But knowing, I mean, we ultimately want to know that our parents are safe and taken care of or, and, and not going to be in harm's way, even if we don't like them that much, right? Right, right, sure. We still want to, to continue on and, and know that we did what we could do. You don't want to have any regrets when it's over. 
you don't. Really, for me, um, the, the reason why I have been successful is, number one, I've been very present in my homes. I'm the one that has done every admission, every med sheet, every doctor's appointment for my residents. And I really engage with my staff, and I'm the one that communicates with the families. And it is, it's, it's consuming. You know, I feel like I put my life on a platter and handed it over and said, here, you can have my life. But it is something that I have so enjoyed and just what I have gained, you can't pay for. You can't, there's no years of schooling. There's, I mean, really, it has filled me up. I've gained so much by what I do. And like I said, the challenge is the staffing, but I have tried to lead in such a gentle way with the staff. And a lot of times I give scenarios and and I'll give you an example today. I was in the home and we during shift change and um one of the girls was complaining about this gentleman that we have and say well do you know he as soon as i wanted to go into that bathroom and take this one in the bathroom he's like nope i'm going in there and i said you know now we're during covid too i said you know let me let me just ask you guys this how would you be if you had to stay in this home 24 7 your families are visiting you through a window I said, do you realize that it's your job to change that? Yeah, his, of course he's grouchy and irritable. Wouldn't you be? And I says, but you know what you could do? You could just shower him with kindness. And I bet you could see him come out of it. And seriously, like, it is so important to remind yourself that a lot of their actions, how would you act, number one? And two, don't forget that they do have dementia. They don't remember that you just said that or... You know, there's just so much to it. So really trying to get your staff, you know, constantly reminding your staff and getting them to see things the way that you see them is what I've always done. And I've tried to be good about it and be gentle about it because I don't want them to be angry when I leave. But yeah, I mean, it's it's really about integrity and, and really treating these people right. And they so deserve it. Even the mean ones. When the families want to tell me the mean stories, I don't even want to hear them because you know what? I don't want that to affect the care that we provide. I know it won't for me, but I don't know about my staff. You know, Being present is so much of the great quality of any individual, no matter what business you're in, mm-hmm. or even if it's a volunteer relationship. And I'm just going to wrap up with the whole importance of 911, right? You know, mm-hmm. the issues of 911 in this book that we've written, which is critical. And it was done, like you said, to be present in the issue of a 911 scenario where, quite frankly, if you're not, all sorts of disasters can happen. I know you've read the book, so thank you very much. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important that everybody else know. I'm just going to wrap up with a quick little pitch. So thank you, Kimberly, for your time and, and your support and your devotion for everything that you do. But if you are a listener and we're just starting out, please know that there is a book that we've written called How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies. It's not what you think. It's a very simple guide that will take you through in 112 pages of exactly how to prepare, what to deal with the EMTs, and truly life-saving and life-threatening situations that can help them save the life of somebody you love, including the ER doctors, through the hospital stay, discharge, where to go. And quite frankly, even in the case of disasters where we're dealing in hurricane season down south, and God knows those hurricanes have come up north by us in Connecticut. We just dealt with 10 days of no power and phones, which was an internet, which was difficult. 
but also what happens when the 911 system goes dead and it does go dead. In fact, actually, I saw on my phone the other week when we had no power and no internet connection, the phone lit up and it said emergency dialing only. It was very interesting to see on the phone. I had had that experience, but I knew that it worked. So if you haven't gotten it, all you need to do is go to howtosurvive911.com. In the meantime, keep listening. Check out Kimberly. She's a fabulous, fabulous caregiver. I know that she, she'll answer any questions. If you remember the Facebook group called Elder Care Success, come on over and join us because that's where everybody is helping one another in a way that brings joy and a positive outcome. Not, you know, it's not a time to complain. It's a time to count your blessings as much as possible, even if it's hard, right? Even if it's hard. And your book is wonderful. It's wonderful. You know, it just, it's such an easy laid out. Thank you, Kimberly. It has been a pleasure and I look forward to continue to be a support to you too. And I know that just having you there with us is a a real support to me as well because I still have mom. Yeah. uh, (laughs) As they say, it's not over till it's over. And even then it's not over. Not over. (laughs) You've got lots of work to do. Right. That's right. This show is sponsored by Caremanity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com. All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2021 Caremanity LLC.